Case Three, The Nemesis of Fire, Part Four, of John Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. John Silence by Algernon Blackwood, Case Three: The Nemesis of Fire, Part Four. Colonel Rag was the first to utter. My sister, he said briefly, and moved off. In the yard, I heard him sending the frightened servants about their business in an excellently matter-of-fact voice, scolding someone roundly for making such a big fire and letting the flues get overheated, and paying no attention to the stammering reply that no fire had been lit there for several days. Then he dispatched a groom on horseback for the local doctor. Then Dr. Silence turned and looked at me. The absolute control he possessed not only over the outward expression of emotion by gesture, change of color, light in the eyes, and so forth, but also, as I knew well, over its very birth in his heart, the mask-like face of the dead he could assume at will, made it extremely difficult to know at any given moment what was at work in his inner consciousness. But now, when he turned and looked at me, there was no sphinx expression there, but rather the keen, triumphant face of a man who had solved the dangerous and complicated problem and saw his way to a clean victory. Now do you guess? He asked quietly, as though it were the simplest matter in the world, and ignorance were impossible. I could only stare stupidly and remain silent. He glanced down at the charred cauldron lids and traced a figure in the air with his finger. But I was too excited or too mortified or still too dazed, perhaps, to see what it was he outlined, or what it was he meant to convey. I could only go on staring and shaking my puzzled head. A fire elemental, he cried, a fire elemental of the most powerful and malignant kind. A what? thundered the voice of Colonel Rag behind us, having returned suddenly and overheard. It's a fire elemental, repeated Dr. Silence more calmly, but with a note of triumph in his voice he could not keep out and a fire elemental enraged. The light began to dawn in my mind at last, but the colonel, who had never heard the term before, and was besides feeling considerably worked up for a plain man with all this mystery he knew not how to grapple with, the colonel stood with the most dumbfounded look ever seen on a human countenance, and continued to roar and stammer and stare. And why, he began, savage with the desire to find something visible he could fight. Why, in the name of all the blazes? And then stopped as John Silence moved up and took his arm. There, my dear Colonel Rag, he said gently, you touch the heart of the whole thing. You ask why. That is precisely our problem. He held the soldier's eyes firmly with his own. And that, too, I think, we shall soon know. Come and let us talk over a plan of action. That room with the double doors, perhaps. The word action calmed him a little, and he led the way, without further speech, back into the house and down the long stone passage to the room where we had heard his stories on the night of our arrival. I understood from the doctor's glance that my presence would not make the interview easier for our host, and I went upstairs to my own room, shaking. But in the solitude of my room, the vivid memories of the last hour revived so mercilessly that I began to feel I should never in my whole life lose the dreadful picture of Miss Rag running, 
that dreadful human climax after all the non-human mystery in the wood, and I was not sorry when a servant knocked at my door and said that Colonel Wragg would be glad if I would join them in the little smoking-room. I think it is better that you should be present, was all Colonel Wragg said as I entered the room. I took the chair with my back to the window. There was still an hour before lunch, though I imagined that the usual diversions of the day hardly found a place in the thoughts of any one of us. The atmosphere of the room was what I might call electric. The colonel was positively bristling. He stood with his back to the fire, fingering an unlit black cigar, his face flushed, his being obviously roused and ready for action. He hated this mystery. It was poisonous to his nature, and he longed to meet something face to face, something he could gauge and fight. Dr. Silence, I noticed at once, was sitting before the map of the estate which was spread upon a table. I knew by his expression the state of his mind. He was in the thick of it all, knew it, delighted in it, and was working at high pressure. He recognized my presence with a lifted eyelid, and the flash of the eye, contrasted with his stillness and composure, told me volumes. I was about to explain to our host briefly what seems to me afoot in all this business, he said without looking up, when he asked that you should join us so that we can all work together and while signifying my assent, I caught myself wondering what quality it was in that calm speech of this undemonstrative man that was so full of power, so charged with the strange, virile personality behind it, and that seemed to inspire us with his own confidence as by a process of radiation. Mr. Hubbard, he went on gravely, turning to the soldier, knows something of my methods, and in more than once, uh, interesting situation, has proved of assistance. What we want now, and here he suddenly got up, and took his place on the map beside the colonel, and looked hard at him, is men who have self-control, who are sure of themselves, whose minds at the critical moment will emit positive forces, instead of the wavering and uncertain currents due to negative feelings, due, for instance, to fear. He looked at us each in turn, Colonel Wragg moved his feet farther apart and squared his shoulders, and I felt guilty but said nothing, conscious that my latent store of courage was being deliberately hauled to the front. He was winding me up like a clock. So that, in what is yet to come, continued our leader, each of us will contribute his share of power and ensure success for my plan. I'm not afraid of anything I can see, said the Colonel bluntly. I'm ready, I heard myself say, as it were automatically, for anything, and then added, feeling the declaration was lamely insufficient, and everything. Dr. Silence left the mat and began walking to and fro about the room, both hands plunged deep into the pockets of his shooting jacket. Tremendous vitality streamed from him. I never took my eyes off the small moving figure. Small, yes, and yet somehow making me think of a giant plotting the destruction of worlds. And his manner was gentle as always, soothing almost, and his words uttered quietly without emphasis or emotion. Most of what he said was addressed, though not too obviously, to the colonel. The violence of this sudden attack, he said softly, pacing to and fro beneath the bookcase at the end of the room, is due, of course, partly to the fact that tonight the moon is at the full. Here he glanced at me for a moment and partly to the fact that we have all been so deliberately concentrating upon the matter. Our thinking, 
our investigation has stirred it into unusual activity. I mean that the intelligent force behind these manifestations has realized that someone is busied about its destruction, and it is now on the defensive. More, it is aggressive. But it, what is it? began the soldier, fuming. What, in the name of all that's dreadful, is a fire elemental? I cannot give you at this moment, replied Dr. Silence, turning to him, but undisturbed by the interruption, a lecture on the nature and history of magic, but can only say that an elemental is the active force behind the elements, whether earth, air, water, or fire. It is impersonal in its essential nature, but can be focused, personified, and sold, so to say, by those who know how, by magicians, if you will, for certain purposes of their own, much in the same way that steam and electricity can be harnessed by the practical men of this century. Alone, these blind elemental energies can accomplish little, but governed and directed by the trained will of a powerful manipulator, they may become potent activities for good or evil. They are the basis of all magic, and it is the motive behind them that constitutes the magic black or white. They can be the vehicles of curses or of blessings. For a curse is nothing more than the thought of a violent will perpetuated. And in such cases, cases like this, the conscious directing will of the mind that is using the elemental stands always behind the phenomena. You think that my brother, broke in the colonel aghast, has nothing whatever to do with it directly. The fire elemental that has here been tormenting you and your household was sent upon its mission long before you, or your family, or your ancestors, or even the nation you belong to, unless I am much mistaken, was even in existence. We will come to that a little later. After the experiment I propose to make, we shall be more positive. At present, I can only say that we have to deal now not only with the phenomenon of attacking fire merely, but with the vindictive and enraged intelligence that is directing it from behind the scenes, vindictive and enraged. He repeated the words. That explains, began Colonel Ragg, seeking furiously for words he could not find quickly enough. Much, said John Silence with a gesture to restrain him. He stopped a moment in the middle of his walk, and a deep silence came down over the little room. Through the windows the sunlight seemed less bright, the long lines of dark hills less friendly, making me think of a vast wave towering to heaven and about to break and overwhelm us. Something formidable had crept into the world about us, for undoubtedly there was a disquieting thought, holding terror as well as awe, in the picture his words conjured up. The conception of a human will, reaching its deathless hand, spiteful and destructive, down through the ages, to strike the living and afflict the innocent. But what is its object? burst out the soldier, unable to restrain himself longer in the silence. Why does it come from that plantation, and why should it attack us, or anyone in particular? Questions began to pour from him in a stream. All in good time, the doctor answered quietly, having let him run on for several minutes. But I must first discover positively what or who it is that directs this particular fire elemental. And to do that we must first, he spoke with slow deliberation, seek to capture to confine by visibility, to limit its sphere in a concrete form. "'Good heavens almighty!' exclaimed the soldier, 
mixing his words in his unfeigned surprise. Quite so, pursued the other calmly, for in so doing I think we can release it from the purpose that binds it, restore it to its normal condition of latent fire, and also, he lowered his voice perceptibly, also discover the face and form of the being that ensouls it. The man behind the gun, cried the colonel, beginning to understand something, and leaning forward so as not to miss a single syllable. I mean that in the last resort, before it returns to the womb of potential fire, it will probably assume the face and figure of its director, of the man of magical knowledge who originally bound it with his incantations and sent it forth upon its mission of centuries. The soldier sat down and gasped openly in his face, breathing hard. But it was a very subdued voice that framed the question. And how do you propose to make it visible? How capture and confine it? What do you mean, Dr. Silence? By furnishing it with the materials for a form, by the process of materialization simply. Once limited by dimensions, it will become slow, heavy, visible. We can then dissipate it. Invisible fire, you see, is dangerous and incalculable. Locked up in a form, we can perhaps manage it. We must betray it to its death. And this material? we asked in the same breath, although I think I had already guessed. Not pleasant, but effective, came the quiet reply. The exultations of freshly spilled blood. Not human blood, cried Colonel Wragg, starting up from his chair with a voice like an explosion. I thought his eyes would start from their sockets. The face of Dr. Silence relaxed in spite of himself, and his spontaneous little laugh brought a welcome though momentary relief. The days of human sacrifice, I hope, will never come again, he explained. Animal blood will answer the purpose, and we can make the experiment as pleasant as possible. Only the blood must be freshly spilled and strong with the vital emanations that attract this peculiar class of elemental creature. Perhaps, perhaps if some pig on the estate is ready for the market. He tried to hide a smile, but the passing touch of comedy found no echo in the mind of our host who did not understand how to change quickly from one emotion to another. Clearly he was debating many things laboriously in his honest brain, but in the end the earnestness and scientific disinterestedness of the doctor, whose influence over him was already very great, won the day, and he presently looked up more calmly and observed shortly that he thought perhaps the matter could be arranged. There are other and pleasanter methods, Dr. Silence went on to explain but they require time and preparation, and things have gone much too far, in my opinion, to admit of delay. And the process need cause you no distress. We sit round the bull and await results, nothing more. The emanations of blood, which, as Levi says, is the first incarnation of the universal fluid, furnish the materials out of which the creatures of discarnate life, spirits if you prefer, can fashion themselves a temporary appearance. The process is old, and lies at the root of all blood sacrifice. It was known to the priests of Baal, and it is known to the modern ecstasy dancers who cut themselves to produce objective phantoms who dance with them. And the least gifted clairvoyant could tell you that the forms to be seen in the vicinity of slaughterhouses or hovering above deserted battlefields are, well, simply beyond all description. I do not mean, he added, noticing the uneasy fidgeting of the host, 
that anything in our laundry experiment need appear to terrify us, for this case seems a comparatively simple one, and it is only the vindictive character of the intelligence directing this fire elemental that causes anxiety and makes for personal danger. It is curious, said the colonel, with a deep rush of words, drawing a deep breath, and as though speaking of things distasteful to him, that during my years among the hill tribes of northern India I came across, personally came across, instances of the sacrifices of blood to certain deities being stopped suddenly, and all manner of disasters happening until they were resumed. Fires broke out in the huts, and even on the clothes of the natives, and, and I admit I have read in the course of my studies, he made a gesture towards his books and heavily laden table, of the Yazidis of Syria evoking phantoms by means of cutting their bodies with knives during their whirling dances, enormous globes of fire which turned into monstrous and terrible forms, and I remember an account somewhere, too, how the emaciated forms and pallid countenances of the specters that appeared to the Emperor Julian claimed to be the true immortals, and told him to renew the sacrifices of blood for the fumes of which, since the establishment of Christianity, they had been pining, that these were in reality the phantoms evoked by the rites of blood. Both Dr. Silence and myself listened in amazement, for this sudden speech was so unexpected and betrayed so much more knowledge than we had either of us suspected in the old soldier. Then perhaps you have read, too, said the doctor, how the cosmic deities of savage races, elemental in their nature, have been kept alive through many ages by these blood rites. No, he answered, that is new to me. In any case, Dr. Silence added, I am glad you are not wholly unfamiliar with the subject, for you will now bring more sympathy and therefore more help to our experiment. For, of course, in this case we only want the blood to tempt the creature from its lair and enclose it in a form. I quite understand, and I only hesitated just now, he went on, his words coming much more slowly, as though he felt he had already said too much, because I wished to be quite sure it was no mere curiosity, but an actual sense of necessity that dictated this horrible experiment. It is your safety, and that of your household, and of your sister that is at stake, replied the doctor. Once I have seen, I hope to discover whence this elemental comes, and what its real purpose is. Colonel Rag signified his assent with a bow. And the moon will help us, the other said, for it will be full in the early hours of the morning, and this kind of elemental being is always most active at the period of full moon. Hence you see the clue furnished by your diary. So it was settled. Colonel Rag would provide the materials for the experiment, and we were to meet at midnight. How he would contrive at that hour, but that was his business. I only knew we both realized that he would keep his word, and whether a pig died at midnight or at noon was, after all, perhaps only a question of the sleep and personal comfort of the executioner. Tonight, then, in the laundry, said Dr. Silence finally to clinch the plan. We three alone, and at midnight, when the household is asleep, and we shall be free from disturbance. He exchanged significant glances with our host, who at that moment was called away by the announcement that the family doctor had arrived and was ready to see him in his sister's room. For the remainder of the afternoon, John Silence disappeared. I had my suspicions that he made a secret visit to the plantation and also to the laundry building, 
but in any case we saw nothing of him, and he kept strictly to himself. He was preparing for the night, I felt sure, but the nature of his preparations I could only guess. There was movement in his room, I heard, and an odor like incense hung about the door, and knowing that he regarded rites as the vehicles of energies, my guesses were probably not far wrong. Colonel Ragg, too, remained absent the greater part of the afternoon, and deeply afflicted, had scarcely left his sister's bedside. But in response to my inquiry, when we met for a moment at tea-time, he told me that although she had moments of attempted speech, her talk was quite incoherent and hysterical, and that she was still quite unable to explain the nature of what she had seen. The doctor, he said, feared she had recovered the use of her limbs only to lose that of her memory, and perhaps even of her mind. Then the recovery of her legs, I trust, may be permanent at any rate? I ventured, finding it difficult to know what sympathy to offer. And he replied with a curious short laugh, Oh, yes, about that there can be no doubt whatever. And it was due merely to the chance of my overhearing a fragment of conversation, unwillingly, of course, that a little further light was thrown upon the state in which the old lady actually lay. For as I came out of my room, it happened that Colonel Ragg and the doctor were going downstairs together, and their words floated up to my ears before I could make my presence known by so much as a cough. Then you must find a way, the doctor was saying with decision, for I cannot insist too strongly upon that, and at all costs she must be kept quiet. These attempts to go out must be prevented, if necessary by force. This desire to visit some wood or other she keeps talking about is, of course, hysterical in nature. It cannot be permitted for a moment. It shall not be permitted, I heard the old soldier reply, as they reached the hall below. It has impressed her mind for some reason, the doctor went on, by way evidently of soothing explanation, and then the distance made it impossible for me to hear more. At dinner, Dr. Silence was still absent, on the public plea of a headache, and though food was sent to his room, I am inclined to believe he did not touch it, but spent the entire time fasting. We retired early desiring that the household should do likewise, and I must confess that at ten o'clock, when I bid my host a temporary good night, and sought my room to make what mental preparation I could, I realized, in no very pleasant fashion, that it was a singular and formidable assignment, this midnight meeting in the laundry building, and that there were moments in every adventure of life when a wise man, and one who knew his own limitations, owed it to his dignity to withdraw discreetly and but for the character of our leader, I probably should have then and there offered the best excuse I could think of, and have allowed myself quietly to fall asleep, and wait for an exciting story in the morning of what had happened. But with a man like John Silence, such a lapse was out of the question, and I sat before my fire, counting the minutes, and doing everything I could think of to fortify my resolution, and fasten my will at the point where I could be reasonably sure that my self-control would hold against all attacks of men, devils, or elementals. End of Case 3. The Nemesis of Fire. Part 4.